This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. Today, we're talking about bookstores and about comic stores. Both of these places can be super important in getting the word out about a book. But are they super different or are they basically the same? This is also a mystery, as well as sales reps being a mystery. Um, today, we're talking about this with someone who's worked in both spaces, Jake Shapiro, the former manager and still co-owner of DC's Phantom Comics, who now works at The Strand in New York City, which is a traditional bookstore and one of the oldest and largest independents in the country. Jake, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much to both of you for having me on here. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming. As uh, you said, I am still a part owner of Phantom Comics in Washington, D.C. I worked there for about four years. Um, and then uh, this past summer, about six months ago, I moved up to New York City um, just because I wanted to spread my wings a little bit. Um, I feel like I had did everything I could do. Um, working at a small comic book store and if I was going to move up and rather than moving to somewhere else in DC, I figured, you know, New York is where everything's going on. And it's, and aside from career goals, it's somewhere that I've, since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to live in. So aside from that, you know, that's, uh, really where I wanted to be. It's um, a very, very different city. Yes. It's certainly also where this podcast is going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure that played a, a vital, a vital part in your decision making. Yeah. Well, I, um, it was interesting because, uh, I've, I know that for comics, I sort of feel like the capital of comics in the United States right now is Portland, not New York. Um, but you know, after visiting Portland, in person last year and having friends who've gone over there, I've realized that it's not the city for me, um, which might be to the detriment of my comics career. But I really like in my core, I'm a very East Coast kind of person. Um, and where in the place that I'm living is very important to me. I know for a lot of people that, you know, as long as they have their computers and have access to the things they want, they can live wherever. But for me, the place that I live is really important. And I love New York and it's still pretty close to D.C., um, and it's in a weird transitionary period, I think, when it comes to comics, definitely, um, as a city. So it's been an interesting experience. As for how I got into comics, I actually didn't get really, really into comics until I was an adult, which in a way I think gives me a, has given me an interesting perspective on it. Um, I grew up loving Calvin and Hobbes and other uh, comic strips in the newspaper, but I didn't really get into comic book comic books until after college when I followed an ex to Kansas City, a city that I had no connection to. Um, and it was like a really lonely, dark period of my life. And I was managing a little art house movie theater there. Um, and in this little art house movie theater, someone had left stacks of old comics in the box office. This and is amazing. <laughs> so you literally had nothing better to do. Yeah. I, yeah, it was, so it was this theater, Tivoli Cinemas. I still love it. It's a great place. If you're ever in Midtown Kansas City, Missouri, the real Kansas City, please check it out. <laughs> I love that place. Um, there, there's just three auditoriums there. And then when movies are going in all three of the theaters, like you don't have anything to do until the movies get out because it's such a small theater. So I would just sit there in the box office and read comics. Um, and most of the ones that were left there were not even very good. Uh, but it was like a lot of old Vertigo stuff. Um, but it's, it's something, something clicked in me. And I think I have a very 
addictive personality where it's hard for me to be a casual fan of anything. Like once I get into something, I get really into it. Um, so I went down after that, I went down to my local comic book store in Kansas city, which was called Clint's comics, uh, which the owner got killed a couple years ago. Jeez. Um, yeah, I, I, if I'm recalling correctly, the owner got killed by like an angry customer. Um, Anyway, unrelated, Clint's Comics. So being a comic store owner can be dangerous to your health. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace, Clint, but it really was not a great comic book store. So this is not setting me up for like a great love of comics, right? Um, It was very much your traditional kind of hole in the wall, um, kind of a a glaring old man behind the counter kind of comic book store. Um, But there was just something about the medium that, that felt like there's something more to this. I should get more into it. Um, I think at the time I had been thinking a lot about, um, Miles Morales, uh, you know, wow, black Spider-Man, that was like a big deal in the media. So I'm like, okay, let me track this down. And I really liked it. Um, and I kept reading it until it hit the first big crossover. And that really threw me for a loop and made me realize that maybe superhero comics aren't for me and I should check out other stuff. And really at that point, I didn't even have a person that as like a mentor showing me good comics. It was really just me in a very lonely place in my life, Googling like best comics of the year. What do people like? And then ironically, given what I do now, ordering a lot of these off Amazon. And since I didn't have a lot of other stuff going on in my life at that point, it was really just consuming all these things in my early to mid twenties. And so, uh, yeah, that really formed who I am. After two years, I moved back home to DC. Um, you know, relationship wasn't going where I wanted it to be in Kansas City. I love Kansas City, but it's not a place I wanted to be for the rest of my life. So moved home to DC and then used my chops running a little independent movie theater to run another struggling small arty business, <laughs> a comic book store. Um, so I just applied everywhere. And uh, Esther Kim, who now works for Boom Studios, she's kind of always been my best friend and mentor. Um, she's and she, super great. Yeah, she gave me a chance and I worked my way up there. And then when she went off to work for publishers i took over the reins at phantom um and then i decided to give my life another left turn and moved up to new york in july so the, i want to say briefly one of the things i really love about your origin story is that we have a shared part of our comics origin story which is yeah. the random pile of comics part <laughs> for me i was a 12 year old and the local like five and dime type grocery store for whatever reason had a pile of like black and white like mirage studios type (laughs) comics just sitting on the shelf that i think must have belonged to one of the clerks and they just decided to sell them for some extra cash or something i literally have no idea why they were there and i bought them and i'm like and i these were not children appropriate but i read all of them and again i was like oh well i need more of this obviously and i had nobody to tell me what to do so i just read a lot of ninja turtle black and white ninja turtle comics as a 12 year old is what i did anyway i you know i think there's something about comics in the 21st century are in such a weird place that I feel like anyone who's really into it, there's always some some strange story as to what led them to that place. You know, it makes sense back in, in decades past when, like, you know, comics were a more dominant form for a wide swath of people. But now that the comic book comic books, uh, you know, like single issue floppy comics have become such a niche thing, anyone who's into it, I don't know. I, it's not like a natural thing that just comes up in, in high school. It's always something weird. So can you talk to us a little about the day-to-day work at a bookstore and at a comic book store and like both about the day-to-day work and then if there's any differences between the two? Okay, so I'll start with a comic book store because that's where I started. Um, Working in a comic book store, 
it works on a week to week basis all the time. Everything is determined by the weekly cycle of comics coming out on Wednesdays. So Wednesday is the huge day of the week. And unlike a lot of other retail where, you know, Friday, Saturday are the big days for comic book stores, the by far the biggest chunk of money you make is on Wednesdays. Um, and so the whole week really revolves around that every day. You're always acutely aware of what day it is. Um, and fa- at Phantom, you know, Monday, uh, that's when we place a lot of the orders. Um, Tuesdays are when we receive in that week's new releases and we're really spending the whole day getting set up. Wednesdays is really just the day to sell comics. Um, Thursdays are usually when our weekly reorder would come in. So that's when we're replenishing our, uh, most of our trades. Um, then Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday really would be, would, be for events uh at at and we do magic the gathering so friday night was always friday night magic um but then saturday and sunday that's when we do a lot of our book clubs um phantom kind of has a reputation for doing a lot of events because for us that's how in 2019 how we can really stay relevant in a world where people have so many other avenues to do things um we really pride ourselves on our community um and running events and uh so that's really what that was for and then you go back to monday and it all starts over again um I find that at least in the book selling that I'm doing now working for The Strand, there's so much stuff going on all the time and books are coming out all the time. It, I really have much less of a sense of what day of the week it is it's like so <laughs> acutely. I mean, definitely it's like, you know, weekends, there's a lot more stuff going on um, and certain events happen on certain days of the week more, but it really is not dominated on a weekly cycle in the way that working at a small comic book store is. Also, books come out on Tuesdays in the bookstore world instead of on Wednesdays <laughs> like they do in the comic store world. Yeah, um, but even then, you know, Tuesdays, are when new books come out, but it's, it's not such a big difference in the number of people coming in as it is in a comic book store. I think in a direct market comic book store, you have to be, you're kind of a nerd. You're kind of, you're much more up on what's, what's out, what's happening this week. You got to be on it. You got to have the next big thing. Um, I mean, definitely the strand has plenty of longtime regulars who have been going there longer than I've been alive, who are acutely aware of everything going on. But uh, I feel like their interests are a lot more diverse as far as not as far as like they read a wider range of books, but that some of them are there because they really like just digging through the crates and finding good old stuff. Um, Some of them are there because they want to read the hottest new thing. But, you know, and then a lot of people are there because they love the community because the strand is such a New York icon. Um, Whereas I feel like Phantom being a comic store and being a, a smaller business is much more focused on one thing that makes everything go. So I might be wrong here. So now I'm going to ask you, you're going to tell me if I'm wrong or not. My feeling was that unless it's like a big deal book, there's less of this sense of like, it's Tuesday, all the new books need to be out today. And more like, oh, this shipment came in a few days early, we'll just put them out. So it's less like the entire stock is turning over on the same day every week and much more like whatever, unless it's like Harry Potter, who cares? It's kind of fine. I mean, and and the strand, I mean... We get so many books before they're actually supposed to be out because especially being New York and so many reviewers and publishers and stuff are based here and they'll all get advanced copies of books and then they'll all flip them. And a lot of them are clearly have never even been read by those people. Um, That would not fly in the comic book world at all. Um, Diamond, the major distributor for comics, would send secret shoppers on like a monthly basis to make sure that you're not selling any product at all the day before they're supposed to be out. Oh, it's worth mentioning. So for people who are not New York City people, The Strand also has used books as addition to new books. So yeah, do you want to give like a quick sketch of like, what the two stores that you worked at are like for people who haven't personally visited them? 
Sure. Um, Phantom Comics is in the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Um, so it's very central it's if very people central. haven't been to D.C. Yes, yeah, so if you're not familiar with D.C., it's very centrally located. It's close to everything. It's right by um, the farmer's market. Yeah, it's, it's got a really nice farmer's market. I mean, downtown D.C. is a pretty geographically small place. So really, if you're in the city proper, everything's pretty close to everything. Um, but it's right by uh, one of the major metro stations. Um, our clientele, I would say... The vast majority are people in their 20s and 30s. Um, a lot of it is people who live and work in the area. Um, and it's really community driven. Um, we try to pride ourselves as being a very progressive, uh, feminist, queer space, um, which, you know, really goes against a lot of stereotypes about comic book stores. <laughs> um, the other big thing is that Phantom doesn't do any used comics at all. It's all new comics. Um, People come in every now and then asking for, you know, if we've got a uh, so-and-so old comic, but we never do. Um, for us, it's not worth it. We don't really have the staff or the time or the energy to really put into that um, or the physical space. So we really focus on new comics coming out now. Yeah. So what's the size of the store like? The size of the store is pretty small. It's on the second floor above a Subway sandwich shop. Um, it's like maybe a two-bedroom apartment sized. Yeah, it's basically like two rooms. Yeah, it's like two, yeah, two pretty big rooms. Um, It's big enough that we can do events there, like we do Friday Night Magic, but we don't have a separate space from Friday Night Magic. We just have to clear out all of our display tables of books and put tables for people to play Magic on. I think it's it's kind of the the perfect size. I know that at some point, um, Phantom probably needs to expand if we want to do more stuff, but it's really like we have what we want to have. We don't really have any more or less space than that. There's no there's no storage space at all. Um, pretty much everything we have is everything that's out. Um, but I think for a comic book store where there's such a turnover every week in what is coming out and what people want, that's all right. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Phantom Comics. The Strand, uh, is, it's 18 miles of books. Um, (laughs) the Strand is, um, one of the most famous bookstores in the country. Um, it is like the last bastion of kind of old New York independent bookstores. It's been around for 91, 92 years. Um, I'll trust your math. math. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's an icon and it sells new and used books. It used to sell only used books. I think so at some point in the eighties, they started doing new books as well. It's, there's about four floors of content. um, And then there's, then there's multiple offsite, um, locations, but it's really, it's one big store in Union Square. It's on 12th and Broadway. Um, and I work specifically on the second floor there, which is art books, photography books, comic books, uh, and children's books. Um, there's also the main floors where all the general fiction is. You've got all your philosophy and nonfiction, uh, kind of stuff in the basement. And there's also up on the third floor, you got the rare book room, uh, with the really pricey old first editions and stuff like that. Um, and The Strand also has a significant online presence as far as selling books online. Uh, Phantom Comics doesn't really do that at all. We sell a few things on eBay, um, but that's about it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's very much an institution, and it's gigantic. There's got to be definitely over 100 people that work there. Um, and the staffs are really, for the most part, are pretty split between each of the, each of the floor designations. Um, the people that have been around there longer tend to kind of go between them, but you know, working on the second floor because I'm a comics person. Um, I'll interact with all the other second floor people. So the children's book people, the, um, the art book people, and we really all do everything there. 
Um, but I don't really, I don't interact at all with the people that work on the other floors. Um, and really I'm starting from the bottom there. So I'm really less of an authority at the strand. Um, but everyone who works at the strand is full time, which I, I didn't know before I started working there. And I think is really cool and a really, I've actually never heard of that before. That's really cool. Um, the strand is unionized. It's part of uh, United Auto Workers. Um, which is super cool. God, New York is so weird. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I think that in you know in Strand's super convoluted history of how it's you know been one one of the only independent bookstores to survive in New York, I think a big part of it is it doing weird stuff like that. Um, you know, there's and it's actually still, a graphic novel about the history of the Strand's yes. union battles um, that, that you can check out. That is by my friend Greg Farrell, who is still my current coworker on the second floor of the Strand. He's been there for eight or nine years. He's a great guy, and he's. Um, he actually has a, he just got a deal for a new book coming out on his side business, which is modifying Game Boys. Uh, so he's doing a, like a comic book, informational book on DIY Game Boy modding. I have some people who are going to be Googling that. Basically, they're going to pause the podcast right <laughs> now. And um, Also, it's worth mentioning as a person who has shopped at the Strand a lot, that one of the things that's really noteworthy about it for me is that it has a lot of very interesting staff curation. Like there's a lot of tables and they aren't just like bestsellers. They're like a lot of themed curation of all different kinds of books in a way that is, makes it very browsable to find new things. Yeah, for sure. I think the strand, the strand staff being such a weird hodgepodge of arty people is one of the things that drew me there in the first place. Um, I guess let me back up a little bit and talk about, really why I decided to make this move from running a comic book store to to starting at the bottom at a bookstore bookstore again. Um, you know, at, at Phantom, this really small business, I, I love it. And, you know, at some point in the far future, I might end up there again. But I really had kind of felt I, I did everything I could do. Um, and, you know, there was a part of me that's like, well, should I go work at one of the kind of bookstore institutions in D.C., like politics and prose? Um but it really, that still sort of felt like a lateral move to me. And I, you know, working in comics, it felt like the logical thing, the logical progression is at some point to get into publishing. And there's not really any publishing in DC. There is Retrofit uh, Comics, which is run by uh, my friend. Yeah, run by my friends over at Big Planet Comics in DC. But they're a really tiny operation. And I'm not going to hedge my bets on working up there. So came to New York and... um I really, you know, part of me is really burnt out on working retail for this much of a chunk of my life. But I figured if I was going to work retail again, the Strand is pretty much the only place I would want to do it. I had thought, you know, maybe I could, especially having run a comic book store for multiple years, like I could probably get a job working for Forbidden Planet or for Midtown. Um, some of the other like really big, big comic book stores in New York. Um, but I really wanted to expand my purview. And also none of those stores give me the the sentimental feelings that the strand does. I feel like the strand is such an anomaly and it has such a cult following because it is still a family owned business, even though it's huge. Um, and as much as I love those big corporate comic book stores, they don't really have that soul to me. Um, so yeah, so I got off the top of a very small ladder and got on the bottom of a much larger ladder. And so now, I mean, I do specialize in comics. It's what I do, but I'm because so many people, so many of the staff members have been there for so long and so many, pretty much everyone who works there has some crazy interesting life story. I really like have to pay my dues and six months in, I'm I'm not really rocking the boat yet. Uh, 
But I'm getting there. I mean, yeah, uh, Greg Farrell, who did the graphic novel about the Strand uh, Union negotiations, you know, he has no interest in being a manager. He's just someone who goes off and does his own thing. And it's the Strand's full of people like that. I love it. So can you talk a little bit about the difference in approach to comics and graphic novels at comic stores and bookstores? I mean, I think the easiest thing to say is that like bookstores, graphic novels are presumably only part of what they're selling. But is there a difference beyond that and how they approach having graphic novels and comics in their stores? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the most interesting and rewarding parts of working at a bookstore after working at a comic book store, you know, after being so laser focused on graphic novels is seeing how they fit into the tapestry of books as a whole. And for people who aren't specifically comic book readers, like how much are comics part of their reading diet? As far as running a comic book store goes, I think people like to talk all the time about the death of single issue monthly comics. But at Phantom, about half of the revenue that we make is off single issue comics still. Um, Because such a big part of comic book stores is those regular customers that are going to be there every week and have that pull list with us. So they we know that they're kind of guaranteed sales to a certain extent. And that's the case even in a store that doesn't carry extensive back issues. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you'd think that like, oh, that would only be the case in like, super hole in the wall, like, crates full of back issues kind of stores. But no, even for someone that just focuses on new stuff, there are a lot of people out there still in 2019 who care about what's coming out this month. Trade, you know, trade sales are a huge thing, but single issue sales are still great. And really, it's, I think a big part of it is because it's reliable, because it's regulars that are going to be there all the time. Whereas people who are reading in trade, they're less pressed to get the book the week it comes out. You know, they may or may not, um, you know, pick up every book and they're less likely to buy all their books from one store. Whereas if you're buying your single issues, most people pretty much buy their single issues from the one place that they get their pulls from. Um, Yeah. Uh, So I would say that working at a bookstore selling graphic novels is interesting because there's no... We have we have a few scattered used single issues, but that's really not the focus at all, and they're all just super cheap. Um, yeah, the focus is on is entirely on seeing them as graphic novels and not seeing them as comics. I know that's kind of an endless an endless debate. Is the like buying and stocking approach different? Like how how does Phantom decide which books to carry out of everything there is versus how the Strand figures out which graphic novels they're going to be featuring and carrying? Working in a comic book store, I think because it's more focused and because we don't have storage space, the way that we would see it when buying comics and, and for buying all our graphic novels and trades is, can this sell in a month? If we can't sell this in a month, it's not worth having in. And that's really every time we did the reorders, it's like, and everything that's on our shelves, we want there to sit there no longer than a month. The Strand, being both a much bigger store and also being a store that sells used books, is much more okay with having stuff that sits there forever. Um, and that's really part of the appeal for a lot of people of The Strand is going in there and like digging through and seeing what they find. Um, and it's organized very differently. Um, it's, I think a lot harder to if you're looking for a specific book, unless it's a new release, it it can be a little bit harder to find what you're looking for, and we can't always guarantee that we'll have what you're looking for. But then the trade-off is because there's so many used books, is then the strand will sometimes have obscure out-of-print stuff that Phantom would never have. It's also so interesting because I feel like for comic book stores, it's become this very, very specific audience. And of course that changes geographically, different cities and whatnot, but like 
if somebody who's decided I want to go to a comic book store is increasingly a very specific group of people, whereas a bookstore might have like a wider variety of people who might happen once they come into the bookstore, also wander by the graphic novel section as opposed to, I have chosen with my time today to walk inside a comic book store very specifically as opposed to any other kind of store. Like, has that been your experience at all? Or? Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely surprised that there are still a lot of people that come to the Strand specifically to look at the comics. I think it helps that the Strand is is right down the block from Forbidden Planet. So a lot of people will go to Forbidden Planet, pick up stuff there, and then stop by the Strand as well. Because between the two of you, somebody's going to have most things. Yeah, yeah, because the Forbidden Planet will have the new releases and the single issues, and we'll have the weird old out-of-print stuff. Um, so there are a lot of people that come there just to look at the comics, but yeah, you're right. Um, comics definitely are much more specific niche. I think Phantom's kind of whole goal is to expand that as much as possible, uh, but we still rely on that. And even if it's a wider demographic as far as gender and, and all sorts of identities, it's still hyper-nerdy people regardless of what your background is it's all super nerdy people whereas yeah definitely um bookstore has a much more casual crowd a lot of people who would walk into phantom would go in there really because they like didn't realize that comic book stores still existed we would get a lot of people who come in and, and go out not really buy anything just because they wanted to see is this for real <laughs> I think everyone... or is it just a sign <laughs> well it's fine because i you know i wonder in a few decades are people going to feel that way about bookstores too um, but at least for now i think more your average person on the street has more of a concept of what a bookstore is, especially one as famous as The Strand um, that has a kind of a reputation that precedes itself and is really good for Instagram selfies also. <laughs> oh, God, I can only imagine. <laughs> so do the stores arrange their comics in a different way? Does Phantom arrange their books differently from The Strand? Yes. So aside from having single issues, because The Strand doesn't really do single issues at all, um, when it comes to the trades and graphic novels, we have them split by genre, um, but then within that, everything is alphabetized by title, uh, which is different from a bookstore. American comic book stores, which come from a tradition of superhero comics, as much as Phantom kind of prides itself on re- on really pushing indie books, at the end of the day, Marvel and DC are still kind of the backbone of mainstream American comics. And because of that, everything's alphabetized by the title because people want to read Batman. They don't care who's writing it. Batman is Batman, you know, and a lot until recently, a lot of superhero comics didn't even have the the cartoonist name on them on the cover. So by contrast, the Strand's comic section is a, it's a lot more weird. <laughs> so the Marvel and DC sections are alphabetical by title, as are the Vertigo and Image sections and the manga section. But the general comic section, the nonfiction comic section and the comic strip section um, are all alphabetical by author any way you do it there's always going to be problems i think my biggest problem with the way the strand does it is just that 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 there's weird like some of the sections are one way and some of the sections are another way but i don't really know how else you would do it um and comics have an issue that book books don't have um if you have it alphabetical by quote-unquote author really they mean they're alphabetizing it by writer but with comics a lot of people are in it for the artist more than the writer oh god yeah Um, and so that messes things all up so you know if you like Mobius, we have a bunch of books in the M's for Mobius, but a bunch of his books are in the J's for Khodorowsky. Um, Wait, how do you do it for that? I actually have never thought about this until this moment. How do you, do you put it in both places? Is there cross-referencing involved? <laughs> what if there's like five people on that book? I mean, like, this, the standard is that we go off whoever's listed first in the credits, which is almost always the writer. Um, 
it's there will always be little errors because the strand is a much bigger business there's a lot of different people who are bringing in the books and so certain people have different tendencies and some people pay more attention than others so um there there can be some inconsistencies but that's not to say that the way the comic book store does it is perfect either um because uh, you know i um i love feral dalrymple he's one of my favorite uh american cartoonists putting out stuff through image um i will read his books regardless of what the title is but they're all they're all over the place in the comic book store because none of his books have the same title as each other um so yeah there's 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 it there's not really a perfect way to do it. Um, I've mostly seen it by title. I think that's how Kinokuniya does it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. They, But then at the end of their manga section, they pull out a few authors to just be together. Yeah. So yeah. everyone is confused. Yeah, basically. well, even with the manga, like we put the, we do the manga by title because people want to read Naruto. They don't know the name of the person who did Naruto. But at the same time, people love Tezuka and they want to read Tezuka books. But we have the Tezuka books split all over because... It's by title. So you have to ask Steph, basically. You, yeah. It's, yeah. And are there and signs or anything explaining? No. <laughs> um, you know, I, actually, I don't know if there's any signs in the comic section signifying that these sections are alphabetical by title and these sections are alphabetical by author. And even, like, I, I love the way that Phantom has it split by genre, but even then we have all sorts of issues of books that don't easily fit into certain genres. And the eternal question that I think applies to books and people have the same argument about music and about everything else is like, there's an indie section, but like what really constitutes an indie comic is, is indie a genre or is it a business model? Um, or if you have like a superhero comic put out by a small, by a not Marvel or DC publisher, um, like invincible by Robert Kirkman, that is a superhero comic, but it's not Marvel or DC. So should you put it in the superhero section? Um, or, Marvel puts out all those Star Wars comics. Do you put those Star Wars comics in with the Marvel books? I don't know. Anyway, comics are a mess. And sometimes when we ask why uh, the direct market retail uh, model is dying, that is, uh, that, that's why. Because um, people cannot organize their stores yeah, correctly or efficiently. That's not even getting started on single issue comics and all the mess with those. I like my genre because I feel like the number one problem that adult non-comics people I know who want to read comics but aren't comics people they run into the problem of trying to find things for them to read especially when they're nerds they're like I just want to read nerd books but that are comics where are the science fiction comics that aren't superhero stories and that's like a weirdly difficult question to answer yeah especially if you don't just want to read image books like because I feel like if you want to get into graphic novels, like, what are you going to do? Pull out every single title? Like, just go through the whole thing and be like, which of these seem science fiction-y? I'm just going to pull all these books out from, like, and look at the covers and see which ones have robots on them. Like, so I, I like Phantom's model of doing it by genre. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah. Usually it's by publisher that I've seen. Sure. Or, like, no, it's like, there's the Marvel section, the DC section, the image section, and then this chum of everything yeah. else. <laughs> Sometimes with the manga separated out and sometimes It's hard because then, then like how far does it go? Like does Dark Horse get its own section? Does Boom get its own section? Does IDW get its own section? I don't know. I feel like Boom's been getting its own section because like it's most of the kids section in a lot of yeah. comic books. You know what? I did not mention that at all. I guess a whole other aspect to comics uh, at the Strand is that there's a whole separate children's comic section that's in the kids section. It's not in the comic section. So they're slightly separate. 
And even smaller than that, there is a comics erotica section that's over with the erotica, not close to the comics. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I've... Yeah, it's very small. It's like one shelf's worth. That's um, so interesting because I know I've seen some erotica books in the mainstream comics section, but I think they were new and just on like a featured shelf. That explains that. Yeah. Why I only saw a couple of them. Yeah, so it's over by the, it's between the erotica and the green architecture section. And I get I get it. They want to have the erotic comics slightly separate because they don't want the kids to see. Because um, there's a lot of teen, the teen comics are with the adult comics. Yeah, and actually that's the conversation that we're having right now at The Strand is separating out a YA comic section. I guess that's a whole other segment of this conversation to get into. But, but before we leave erotic comics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it, they're... Interesting because there's always a debate about what counts as an erotic comic, and we have that question on the art floor all the time, especially like with photographers. You know, there's uh, like Robert Maplethorpe or Araki, who that's erotic photography, but we don't have it in the erotica section. We have it in the photography section, and who deserves to be where? And a lot of it kind of turns into like weird identity politics stuff. Like one of our best-selling comics in the manga section is Gengar Tagame's My Brother's Husband, which I absolutely love. But you cannot separate that from its origins in the erotic comics community, even though it's not an erotic comic. And if you have the rest of his books there, they would all be in the yeah. erotic comics section. For sure. Um, but a lot of people don't even realize that it's that it's there. Um, and as for kids' comics, the kids' comics are over in the kids' section. They sell super well. And I feel like when you're talking about selling comics in a comic book store versus selling comics in a book bookstore, I do think that the part that book bookstores have gotten right is the kids' comics, because I think... Um, as you know, in your in your day job, I think that uh, comic book publishers, especially when it comes to YA, um, mid-level kid stuff, I think are really aiming at the book market more than they're aiming at the direct market. Um, at Phantom, we would sell a ton of Lumberjanes, but I would say the bulk of the people buying Lumberjanes are in their 20s. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a whole other question is for a lot of this kind of wave of post-Adventure Time, post-Steven Universe comics, how many of these quote-unquote kids' comics are actually being bought by kids and how many of them are adults who are just wanting to be nostalgic. But when you put the kids' comics section in the kids' book section in the bookstore, probably it's engendering a higher level of kid readers than um, putting it in a comic store. Yeah, for sure. And I'm definitely, I've been very pleasantly surprised at the number of families coming with kids who buy comics for their kids. Definitely, there's always going to be parents who are like, I don't want my kids to read comics because that's not real reading. But there's every, less and less of them all the time. Yeah. And every single kid knows Reina Talgemeier. It's amazing. I don't think that there is, I don't think there's anywhere near as mainstream literacy of adult comics in a weird way, I think... It's like Mouse and like Persepolis, maybe. A couple other things, and that's kind of it. That's about it. But also, those have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, I think John Lewis's March trilogy has, uh, yeah. is probably the most recent thing. I think the Ross Chest books because of the New Yorker overlap. Yeah. But that one is such a weird thing because that... I think of that as coming from a from a comic strip cartooning background and not from a like comic book, comic book background. Yeah, Ross Chest is huge. And... You know, you mentioned going into a comic store and asking, like, if I want science fiction comics, where do I go? I would say working at the Strand in the comic book section, I don't get a lot of people doing that. A lot of it is people asking for comics that The New Yorker has written about. Um, <laughs> you know, tons of people asking about uh, Nick Donasso's Sabrina. A lot of people are asking about the best we could do. I don't know. I'm, I don't know how much of that is a bookstore and how much of that is just New York being New York. But it's very much like the books that are on the top of the bestseller list that can elevate themselves is like the. I, 
there is this weird kind of cognitive dissonance of I don't read comics, but I read these books because these are real. This is real art. Um, and it's almost like they don't see the connection between Roz Chast and Saga, even though to me they're very much in the same genre as each other. I mean, not genre, but they're in the same world as each other. Yeah. And in some ways, it's. I feel like it's really good that people look at graphic novels and are saying, like, these are books. They're award-winning, well-reviewed books. And kind of ingesting them in that way without making a, a difference between them and the novels or the nonfiction they're reading. In some ways, it's also not great, but... <laughs> For sure. If yeah. everyone would love comics and admit that they loved comics, then I think the industry would be uh, like light years ahead of, of where it is. Um, so is the kids' comic section at the Strand big? Yeah. Um, the kids' comic section is kind of a whole wall of its own. We don't have it split into any genres or subsections. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I would say that it's probably more shop than any other single section of comics. Um, it has the advantage of like it has all the kids comics but yeah i think more than any other single section of comics people love the kids comic section um and we have kind of the end cap of our kids comic section is a lot of the bestseller ya mid and mid-level stuff um the books on there fly you know those fly off the shelves i mean that's where we have books like be prepared or um all the ryan Togelmeyer books or uh what's the, that new one by uh kristen goodsnug um making friends making friends that one yeah all those those books are doing super well and i think that's what's causing us to have more conversations about there should probably be a a split out ya comic section has your relationship with an awareness of kind of the graphic novel scene changed at all since you started working at the strand or do you feel like your store in dc was kind of graphic novel focused enough that it wasn't really hasn't really made much of a difference i would say that i I don't know the comics Twitter drama nearly as well as I used to. Um, <laughs> I think that since leaving the comic book store, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's out this week nearly as much. You know, because when it comes to comic book stores, since you're getting the single issue comics, really people who shop at comic book stores know about these comics probably six months before mainstream audiences really know about them because for a lot of audiences, it's the trade coming out. That's when they know that a book is out. So I feel like I'm a little bit less on the ground floor of what's happening in comics, but it has been great to have a bigger perspective on what sells to everyone else that's not coming to comic book stores every week. And also how those books interact with other not comic books, um, like selling kids comics. So before working at a bookstore and just being a comics person, I really only knew Jason Reynolds, the writer, for writing a Spider-Man novelization for kids that was great and we had him at our we had him at phantom he's an amazing speaker and he's from dc i really love him but then i had no idea until until i started working at the strand oh wow he's like one of the actual biggest names in ya right now he's the aba indie bound ambassador for the past two years yeah. like he's the the indie bookstore person yeah he's fantastic i love him he's got he's got to be my favorite children's novelist right now you know marvel and dc both because dc has a lot of their their you know they're revamping their whole ya graphic novel section marvel and dc both have been hiring more and more ya novelists to write their comics um so having come from a comic book store background a lot of these ya novelists like that's I, the first time i ever heard of them was when they started writing comics and now going and getting the full perspective of where they come from uh really adds to it and a whole other aspect of it aside from comics is 
all of the novelizations that, they, that Marvel and DC have been doing that are really popular in their own right. And I wonder how much of it is, a, is it a failure of the mainstream comics industry that Marvel and DC f- feel like they can reach a YA audience through YA novels better than they can reach YA novel audience through comic books. So it's most of their monthly comics aren't for young people yeah, anymore. Like They're a, for people our age. Yeah. <laughs> but like, there's a, like, there's a new Captain Marvel uh, novel that just came out and it looks great. The cover art is super cute and it's wonderful, but it, as a comics person, it kind of makes me sad. Like, why couldn't that have been a YA leaning Captain Marvel comic book to get kids into it? I mean, there's two things that are going on here. One, like Marvel has Marvel press. Like they have an actual book publisher whose job is to figure out like, how do we publish books for the bookstore audience mainly, but also for comic stores that promote the properties that we have. But then also there's a lot of book publishers, especially in kids who a big chunk of their business is licensing. So um, they look at the Marvel and DC properties and they look at the movies that are coming out and they're like, we need to do an early reader with Captain Marvel that comes out time with the movie. Um, and Marvel looks at this as like amazing licensing. I mean, I don't work for Marvel, so who knows how they look at this, but I'm presuming they look at this as amazing licensing opportunity because they do a lot of licensing. Um, so some of this stuff doesn't even get produced by Marvel from the YA novels to the, you know, picture books and learning to count with superheroes that have movies out this season. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure they just see it as like, here's a license we can apply to kids books. Um, um, yeah, but I wish they would do graphic novels about that stuff too. But I think it's also because they can license that stuff out and they can't license the comics out as much, right? Because like they're supposed to be the comics producers, but everyone is busy. Yeah, for <laughs> you sure. You know, so there's not a person who's like, oh, it's my my responsibility to prep the comics materials for the movies that are coming out in two years to make Miss Marvel graphic novels or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and they make some attempts. Like there was a, like a Nnedi Okafor, a uh, really prominent YA novelist uh, who did Akata Witch, Akata Warrior. Um, they're super popular at The Strand. Um, she wrote a self-contained Black Panther graphic novel, um, which I really like because it's like a much easier introduction to Black Panther for people who just saw the movie than Ta-Nehisi Coates' fantastic but very continuity-driven Black Panther comic. Um, but I never hear, at The Strand, I never hear anyone asking about that Black Panther graphic novel. Everyone's asking about the other the the YA novelization of Black Panther that came out. So it so they did put out a YA novel and a YA graphic novel, and the YA novel still seems to gain way more traction than the comic, even when the comic's written by a prominent YA novelist. So can you talk a little about displays, like putting displays, or like you were talking about that kids end cap that you have? Is that the same in comic book stores and bookstores, and how does it work in both places? So. At the comic book store, it was a tiny place, under 10 employees. We really would fly by the seat of our pants for all the displays. We try to have stuff themed based on, you know, this month is Black History Month, so we're going to have Black History stuff, or this movie is about to come out, so we're going to have stuff tying into this. Um, But because it's such a small business, a lot of it is tied into the cult of personality of the employees. Um, And so we know that a lot of people coming to the store know us. Um, you know, that's what makes us better than Amazon recommendations is like, oh, there's a human face to this. So like, here's, you know, here's my picks for the week. And, you know, a lot of times I'll have a sense of humor and 
you know, sometimes you put books on a table just because you have a bunch of extra books and here's where you can put your excess stock. Sometimes you're putting books there, not even because you think that they'll sell super well, but because it makes a good visual. Cause like, I don't know, you come up with a, with a fun gag of like, Oh, here's six spaghetti themed comics. Um, I don't know if it's going to lead to high sales, but it will lead to people posting about it on social media. Um, and But yeah, it was a lot more like if you can think of it, you can put in the effort and you can do it. That's really how we ran it at the comic book store. At The Strand, because it's a much bigger organization, it's its own beast. There's a whole team of tables people, and that's their entire job is running the tables. Uh, as, a, as a second floor employee, I, really, I don't really touch the tables at all. Um, I can write, I can, I can submit stuff for the little employee recommendation section, but they have, uh, tables people who run all that and they have their own system and they work kind of separately from everyone else. And you mean the big ones downstairs? I mean all, any, any table, anything that's not on the bookshelf. Oh, wow. So um, even in, even that table in the middle of the comic book section is like a weird island of your, not your yeah, business. Yes. It's so interesting. Yes. This and, is amazing. And the tables, the books on the tables are almost all front list books. They're not used books, which makes sense because like you want to prominently display the stuff that you're. And you have the, to buy a special quantity of them to make a stack that would go on the table. And you can't kind of be like, I bet this month we'll have 10 people return copies of this book. <laughs> So we can make a table display of it. Yeah. And then the funny thing is being in New York and being such a famous bookstore is we'll have published authors come into the store all the time and be like, I noticed that my book on your table was on the lowest level. Um, can I speak to management and get it put in a more prominent positioning? That, How did this that go? <laughs> you know, I, I think the first time that you meet a published author commenting on their table location, you're like, wow, look at this famous author. But then you then it happens like every week and you realize like, oh, there's, there's a lot of published authors in New York. Yeah. Um, uh, this is part of somebody's like weird anxiety that they're enacting on me and my job right now. <laughs> and aside from the table displays, a lot of authors will come in and like slightly try to ask like how well their books are selling at our store. And that's really like that's proprietary knowledge i'm sure you have methods that if you you know go through the right channels you can find out how well your book is selling at our store but we've really it's not my role to tell you that you know what now that we're going here is there any other like bookstore etiquette that you would like to share with anonymous authors who might be (laughs) listening to this when it comes to relationships between authors and bookstores i think that the strand is such a huge institution there's people clamoring to have their stuff at the strand all the time. Whereas we're in a, in a small, in a smaller bookstore, I feel like you actually, as an author, you have a lot more influence on a, on a comic book store because they're, they're a smaller deal. Also, they tend to be more creator focused because yeah. like so many comics are self-published and, or like creator promoted in a way that yeah. well, I- we, we talked to challengers just a few episodes ago and they were just like you want to be on our radar just email us send us a postcard like tweet at us like we'll be happy to talk to you which maybe isn't the case when you are the one of the largest independent bookstores in the united states that you know rather than being run by two people has a giant staff including people who just work on organizing tables yeah um well, it, although even at a comic book store, it's a weird thing. A lot of our creator events, you have to be a super big comic book creator for you to have an event in our store that's actually really profitable for us. Uh, a lot of the time, 
because comics are such a niche product, if even if you're like a big time comic writer, you're still only big in this tiny sliver of society that cares about comics. Uh, and we would Phantom would run a lot of events where we would just barely recoup our costs when we when we run creator events. So it was a weird it's a weird two way street where a lot of times we're doing it for the relationships we're building with creators in the future and that they'll say good things about us to publishers and to other creators. And, you know, and we're doing it for because we we know that it's like a nice community service to our to our audience that wants to see, you know, they want to have this direct access to comic creators every now and then. And comic creators are usually pretty available with a few exceptions like ta Coates or someone gigantic like that. We're not really turning a huge profit on most of those events because um, the margins on comics are so slim anyway. Um, and if we're flying people out from somewhere like. Oh geez! For like a tiny comic book store, it's almost never worth it for us, but we'll do it anyway if we we think there's long term benefits to it, not just we're making profit at this event. Yeah, Challengers was talking about how it's like often, if I'm remembering correctly, it's often better for them to have local creators where it's like they just want to do an event at the store, their friends and family will show up, like for sure, and not paying to fly somebody across the country. Yeah, I would say like one like one of our best uh, creator relationships at Phantom is with Ron Wimberly. who did Prince of Cats? He's uh, he, he did a lab lab newspaper. It was this kickstarted uh, comics newspaper thing he did. It was really great. Based right here in Brooklyn. Yeah, he's based right here in Brooklyn, but he's from DC. Um, and so we could guilt trip him to like every time you have a new book out, <laughs> come home, visit your mom, and uh, do an event at our store. And you know, and we're well, we'd take him out to dinner, but we're not paying to put him up in a hotel because he's just staying at his mom's place. Those kind of events are really great because then the community really comes out for those. People really love him. He's an amazing creator, but it's not nearly as transactional as an event where we have where we reach out to someone out of the blue and are like, "Hey, we will pay for your hotel if you come here." Um, so yeah, I mean, we've still done we still have done do that every now and then, but it has to be someone that we really believe in and we really care about, and that we and that we have the expendable income to to be okay with potentially losing money on this event because we believe in it. Have you been involved in any creator events at The Strand? or? Um, I will work a lot of the events at The Strand, but just like how Tables has their own team, there's an entirely different events crew who just uh, organize the events at The Strand. Um, so I feel like it's not my place to comment on the events at The Strand too much. Uh, From outside looking in, like, are the is the format of the events different? Like, are they structured differently? You know, I actually find that the events at the Strand are surprisingly similar. I would have thought they would be their own thing. But I find because the Strand tries to do events almost every day, um, there's so many events going on at the Strand. So some of them will be like, we just had a big Lee Bardugo event for the release of her new book. And that was gigantic. And that took, like, that took over our whole second floor. But most of the events we do at the Strand are a lot more mid-size and a lot it's it's just like working in a comics book store where a lot of it is collaborating with local groups like we just did this queerotica event it's a queer stand-up event that we do a few times a year and just like events i would do at the comic book store this was like oh this is a fun community thing that we can be a really good venue for this and maybe it's not a huge money maker for the strand but also the overheads are pretty low on it and it's a, it's a fun time so because it's the strand does so many events I th- they vary wildly in size some of them are super tiny some of them are really big and that would that actually came as a big shock to me i would have thought that they would have only r- run these gigantic events and maybe another bookstore like the barnes noble on the other side of union square maybe they do only do big events like that um, but because the strand is so entrenched in the community in the same way that phantom likes to be entrenched in the community um, there are still a lot of more low-key events 
And another big part of it is uh, rentals. They rent out their event space for weddings and bar mitzvahs and things like that. Yeah, and that's up on the the rare book room. Yeah, most of the events are done in the rare book room because the Strand closes at 10.30 every night, but the rare book room closes at 6.15 because that's where we host most of our events. If there's multiple events in a night, we'll do some of them on the second floor, but most of them are on the third floor. Multiple events in the same bookstore on the same day at the same time. Yeah. This poor events team. It's, I mean, it's probably good that there's a several team of people who are doing that and not just, you know, the people who are working on the floor who just are like, oh, I have to drop everything and run two events right now. Yeah. And that is, it's good. It, it is good to have dedicated events people. I think working at Phantom, sometimes it can be, it can burn you out a little bit to be like, oh, I have to do all my daily work. And then on top of this, I have to stay late for this event that we're doing and I have to care about this author's event where like, I don't really know them that well. And I have a lot of other concerns, but like, and I can't really dote on them the way that I would like to, cause I have all this other stuff going on and I'm the, and there's only so many of us. Whereas at the strand being a bigger organization, because they can have people where that's all they do. It, it's a lot easier. You're less likely to be the person who like emailed with the author <laughs> to organize the event and arranged maybe possibly their travel and hotel, and then also had to like physically move the books around before they got to the store and then tell people where to line up. And like, so like, whereas a bookstore, there's like separate people who do all yeah, do for this sure. stuff. Yeah, for sure. I've actually never been in the rare book room. The strand events that I've been to have all been off site. So I haven't actually been to that event space. Yeah. Well, until recently you had to take the elevator up there because the stairs were under construction um, to get up there. But now the stairs are open. So next you can time walk I up go, there. Gonna go there, but start some trouble. A lot of people great. don't realize it's there, and it's actually it's kind of nice. It has a different vibe than the rest of the store because so many people don't know it's there, and there's way fewer people there, um, so it has a much more low key vibe to it, which I really like. And it's like fitting of a rare book room uh, for like pouring over these like old 1800s novels, and that's a lot quieter. Because um, the Strand really like for being in Union Square and being such an icon, it's definitely a tourist destination. And some days we it can be so packed with human bodies in a way that I never really have at a comic book store outside of free comic book day. <laughs> um, so I noticed that you are wearing a Phantom Comics shirt right now. I am. Can you talk a little about non-book stuff that the the stores sell and in our, how comics are kind of involved there in like the people who are creating the designs for it or is it featuring books? Like, how does that work? Yeah, uh, at Phantom... We've always struggled with figuring out that balance of selling merchandise and selling books. Because um, like I said earlier, a lot of people off the street come into the comic book store just because they don't realize that comic book stores exist anymore. And like, wow, what's this? Uh, it's a lot more of a novelty. And for a lot of those people are much more likely to want to buy some random tchotchkes than they are to buy an actual comic. Uh, but the margins are so much worse for us on not book things. I think with... With comics and graphic novels, because we it's our bread and butter, like we know it really well. We know the distributors we use, um, and it's pretty standardized. And everything you know comes in thing, things fit on the shelves because they're all about the same size as each other. Uh, with clothing and toys and things like that, it's a lot more of a hodgepodge of distributors. And especially being a really small shop, um, a lot of times it's hard to hit the minimum order quantities on things. If you, you know, we can't, we don't have any storage space to order a full pallet's worth of Funko Pops. And then also, we know that a lot of comic book stores end up being glorified toy stores with a few comics in them, and we really still want books to be the focus of our store. So that's a whole other aspect of it. Um, it's a balance, though, because 
you know, those Funko Pops could be someone's entry point. Someone who's intimidated by these walls of books, they're not so intimidated by some little, you know, little tchotchkes. And maybe the first time they come in, they just buy the tchotchkes. But then, that, you know, now they're disarmed a little bit so they can, they can go in the next time and maybe buy a book. So it's definitely a place that we've always wanted to expand. Whenever we've done t-shirts, it's always been collaborations with uh, local artists or artists we like a lot. Um, this one I'm wearing right now was designed by Sophie McTeer, who's formerly from D.C. now, moved out to, I think, Tucson, Arizona. But they're great, and they're just someone we like a lot and who designed a lot of concert posters and things like that for shows around D.C. And really, all the designs we do, it's all friends, people, members of our community, because, you know, we'll make money off the t-shirts that we sell, but it's, again, it's really where it's there for the community. We're not making them as, as big, like, profit ventures. Um, at The Strand, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole machine. The Strand, you know, you see Strand tote bags all over the country. Even before I ever moved up to New York and DC, you would see people with Strand totes everywhere. And the Strand's got dozens and dozens of tote designs, and a lot of them are really amazing. Um, the Strand has an in-house design team who designs a lot of that. I had no idea. Yeah, so I guess that's a very different part from Phantom, because Phantom, there's definitely no budget for an in-house design team. Uh, but there's a lot of comics authors who have done totes for the Strand. Yeah, for sure. I, it helps being in the comics community, where so many of these comic book artists are also illustrators. Also, a lot of them work day jobs doing graphic design for for people. So there's a lot of just organic community source of finding people to do those kind of things. Um, the Strand, I'm sure they don't only sell in-house design stuff, but they do. But they they do a lot of their own design work, and uh, yeah, and that that has become a little bit of a point of contention with the community because you know on a daily basis, well, I'll have an old timer who comes into the strand and says, I've been coming here since before you were born. And back in my day, it wasn't all t-shirts. A lot of the strand purists are very upset at the amount of, uh, the of, merch of, corner. of, of merch <laughs> and the merch corner always kind of grows a little bit. But I think the counter to that is look at all the other independent bookstores that are going out of business in New York and the strand, sticks around so clearly they're doing something right so the when we're talking about the strand it seems like it's like there's a few things that are regular but it's mostly like author events and and that kind of thing that are sort of changing all the time yeah it's i mean there's a there's a decent number of like recurring okay. group things but but yeah there's i mean just because there's so many more and it's covering such a broader array of things it's not just one you know because they're they'll have an occasional comic book artist but they'll also have you know, they'll have a photographer come in for a photography monograph they did, or they'll have, you know, politicians who wrote books. Like, they, there's so many, there's such a, there's a much bigger it's a big array pool of people to draw they, from. Yeah, they have to draw from. So, for Infantum, like, did you, was Magic the only regular event that you ran every week, or were there other kinds of regular recurring events that you'd, that you'd have? Uh, there's a lot of recurring events, because obviously it's a lot easier to do a recurring event than to make up new events over and over and over. Uh, <laughs> Friday Night Magic was every Friday. Um, but then we'd also do like trivia night, every, you know, once every, once every month or once every other month we do, um, we do a lot of book clubs. Book clubs are a thing that are, they're very like low risk, low reward, um, where like, you know, sometimes you'll only get six people there for it, but it's an easy plug and play thing where you don't need a ton of preparation. You just need someone on staff who likes this kind of book. And then we'll have various themed ones. Um, you know, like we'll have a recurring manga book club or a recurring, like queer women in comics book club, um, different themed ones. So people will come to ones that they like. Um, it's tough cause you don't want to oversaturate people with those kind of things. Um, and they don't always sell a ton of books, but they're nice because then they keep people coming back and they encourage people to come back. Cause I guess that's sort of another big difference be between the two is that 
the strand being just, they can't help it that just by being a much bigger store, it's a much more transactional experience for customers. Whereas I think for a comic book store, it's a lot closer to a bar where people come there. A lot of people come there and hang out because they know that they'll see people they know, not just the employees, but also other regular customers. Um, there's a lot of couples that have gotten together because they met each other at, at Phantom Comics. And uh, yeah, and so doing stuff like book clubs, that just encourages people to keep coming back. A problem that we would always struggle with is that people would make their friends, especially DC, which is a city that has so many people that move there from other places to work government jobs and stuff. And so it's like people that are out of college, they don't really have any outlet for their social nerdity. Um, and they don't have a lot of friends, but this is a way that they can make new friends and it's great. But then once they make those friends, then they don't require us to maintain their friendship anymore. So like, how do we keep them still coming back? Um, and we have to, we have to just sort of admit that to a certain extent, they're like, once they make the friends, they're not going to come as frequently as they used to, but then we just needed to like a matchmaking service. Yeah. Yeah. For, for relationships, but also for friends. Um, but then the idea is we just, there's always going to be more people and you got to reach out to the new generation. Cause if you focus too much on those group of people that came in, then it gets really clickish. I think comic book stores and, and us included always struggle with that a little bit of, of maybe you come in and it's such a community that you feel intimidated because you don't know all these people and they know they all know each other and you're scared off. Uh, the Strand has a lot of people who've been coming to the to the store for decades and a lot of them know each other, um, but still the bulk of the people in there are there to buy books. Um, they're not there really to, to see the same people they see every day. Yeah, I go to the Strand for purchasing and loitering. Yeah, a lot of loitering. It's a really good place to loiter. Yeah, and it's got one of the only public restrooms in that whole neighborhood that doesn't have a, a key or a passcode. Mm-hmm. So, one of the one of the things that is a piece of advice that authors get pretty frequently is if you're going to be a published author, make friends with your local bookstore and your local comic store. Um, from your experience working in both those places, what should authors be doing to do that? So, for comic book store is easy yes for sure you should talk to those people they're impressionable they're their taste they're and they're and they're like tastemakers within their community um i don't know if it applies quite as much to a bigger store like a midtown comics but for definitely for smaller stores definitely and i'm sure for smaller book book stores that also applies um for a big store like the strand the really the people that that make those decisions are like, are the buyers and the people. And so unless you really know who the buyers are and who like the specific, there's since it's such a big organization, you really have to know the people within the organization. I, the strand like is such an institution in my six months that I've been there. I haven't really seen firsthand any, you know, us getting a book in because an author made a relationship with one of my coworkers and they really championed it. I mean, we definitely have coworkers who will champion books and they will sell, you know, higher than average because this one, uh, bookseller is hand selling them a ton. Yeah, and but, you talked about staff recommendations. Yeah, and staff recommendations are a big thing, but they're less of the equation than they are in a comic book store. In a comic book store, that's that's like a huge percentage of how stuff gets pushed, especially in this world where comic book websites are dying left and right. There's not even a lot of good outlets you can go to for um, for finding out what the cool new comics are, unless they're mainstream enough to hit uh, slightly more mainstream outlets. So. Getting your book in front of people at some of the largest bookstores in the U.S. can be a mystery. From what I've seen in my half a year working at a book bookstore, I think that the it, the the publisher, who your publisher is and who your agent is, like if they've got the connections, that helps a lot more. I think in a comic book store, you know, at Phantom, you know, every now and then we'd have a rep from so and so publisher 
who wants us to do an event. And those work, but really the biggest, I mean, all the biggest events that we've done at Phantom, it's all because of personal connections we made. You know, even when like the biggest event that we that we had in my time there, which was having Ta-Nehisi Coates there multiple times, that was just because of personal connections we made with him because he went to Howard, um, has a lot of DC connections and come in our store. So you're like the hometown store kind of thing. Yeah. And I, yeah. And like the same thing with Ron Wimberly is like we're that hometown store connection, you know, with big other big name writers like Kelly Sudaconic, we've had connections with her because our community knows her through networking and events and stuff. It's all just our direct connections to her. Um, and in our book clubs, actually, I, I guess I didn't mention earlier, we've done a lot of book clubs where we Skype in with the authors. Oh, that's really um, cool. And that helps a lot. And it like it strokes their egos. They really like it. It's like <laughs> I feel like they got they get as much out of it as we do because uh, for a lot of these comic book authors who we think are really big names, I think more of them than we think still have day jobs. And, and I think they wish that people would talk about their books more critically. I think especially in comics, because it's everything's driven by what's out this week, like what's the next hot thing. I, we do miss out on, I don't think there's enough comics writing that's just like, let's dig into this specific work. It's really like when it gets announced, here's the hot take about it. And then that's it. And we move on. Um, so I think authors really like when we dig a little bit deeper. Um, I think the book book market just naturally has more of that just because it's a much more entrenched medium. Also being a cartoonist is very isolating and it's also like there are humans who read my book <laughs> yeah, how amazing sure. <laughs> yeah. so you mentioned at the strand um new yorker articles or being featured in the new yorker in some way is a thing that makes people come and ask about books and presumably a thing that makes the staff think about putting books on tables or choosing them for staff recommendations is there anything else like that that either a phantom or the strand kind of makes you say, oh, we should do something with this book, or is a thing that you hear from people who come in, like, I'm here to buy this book because I heard about it in this way. Yeah, I mean, I think D.C. and New York are both cities that are full of people who listen to NPR um, <laughs> and are very up on those kind of outlets, um, and want, and they all want to be, as much as they probably don't want to admit it, they're the kind of people that want to be up on, like, here's the hot new, like, progressive cool thing piece of art if you can get the atlantic to write a piece about you that helps a lot you can get the interview on npr yeah for sure i mean i i mean especially with like some of our at phantom like there's members of our community that work for npr because npr's headquartered there people love public radio and you're like it's dc it's like people people love their public servants Um. (laughs) it is such a weird niche of people and New York has a wider variety of people um, because people live in New York for reasons other than those, but it's still, especially the type of people that come to the strand. I mean, that's what, that's what they're there for. It sounds like part of the issue is that like it, I mean, we make a lot of jokes about the information overload of modern society and whatnot, but it really is sort of like, there are venues through which people have things kind of float to the surface of their attention. They're like, Oh, of these 8 million books whose covers I've seen randomly out in the world in the last month, Glenn Weldon being really excited about this thing on Pop Culture Happy Hour has really <laughs> stuck in my head such that when I see this in the store, I'm like, oh man, Glenn Weldon was really horny for that one. I should pick it up. Like, yeah. We were interviewing a publicist a few episodes ago and we made a joke about how like podcasts are the new TV. And I feel like for book recommendations, they really are. Yeah, for sure. And if you're the kind of person who reads a lot of books, you're probably also the kind of person who listens to a lot of podcasts. So maybe that's my advice for authors is like, don't go after the bookstores. Maybe you got to go over the the liberal cultural influencers like that. 
I think it's a little bit easier than maybe in some other realms because I think a lot of those kind of people, like, yeah, they're up on their Instagram and their Twitter and stuff, but I think they're more likely to still be swayed by traditional outlets than maybe some other genres or other mediums. So if people are listening to this podcast and they are inspired by your your tale to start working at a bookstore or a comic store themselves, are, is there advice that you have for them? Like, what what's a good entry point? What skills do they need to have? What education do they need to have? What do they need to do to get themselves ready? Social skills are the most important thing, more important than book knowledge. I mean, at the comic book store and the bookstore, you get so many people that express interest in working there that know a ton about books, but do not have any social skills. And social skills are tough. Like, everyone's got anxiety. It. Not everyone has to be outgoing, but for at the end of the day, it's still a retail job. And, you know, you need to know how to talk to people uh, and pick up on cues and see, like, when am I overselling this? You know, when to talk to someone, when to let someone just browse a little bit. I think that's by far the most important thing. And that, you know, I'm, it's something that you can work on, but I think it's something that you either have it or you don't. Uh, I think if you are an aspiring uh bookseller i think definitely you know you should be up on what's out and what what the conversation is around books and or comics or whatever like read comics beat and also be up on current events in general because a lot of times especially being in a city like dc or new york where people are up on the news all the time i think knowing what's going on in the world and how that can tie into what books people might be interested in reading is really important I think it's easy in these nerdy subcultures to really isolate yourself from the outside world. But I think picking up the newspaper digitally or something (laughs) is good sometimes. Glance at the front page of the New York Times from time to time. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it can influence people's reading habits in like, I want something political, but also in a like... Do I does this customer want something serious versus a more like cotton candy read to take their mind off of the the horror of the news cycle? Yeah, um, something that comes to mind in regards to that is I don't think people want to read about Nazis right now. Um, there was a comic that came out last year called Son of Hitler that was like this this like reimagined tale of the of the son of hitler and it was like it was like a he you know you got to get revenge and kill hitler like it wasn't a pro nazi thing but it was still about nazis and i think in our current political climate that really turns people off i think that maybe a few years ago people would have been much more into that um but now when a lot more of that feels real it's like it's not something that people have the appetite for anymore but then on the other side of things if you're talking about current events and how that tie into work i think a lot of the best selling and most groundbreaking work right now all deals with you know, racial tension and police brutality and things like that. So not saying you should write your book about police brutality because it's the hot topic, but you can be aware of where the tides are, you know, as far as marketing your work or how to approach selling your work to to stores. Before we wrap up, do you have a best and worst part of your job? Best part of my job is the people, for sure. Both at the comic book store and at The Strand, my coworkers are always super interesting, weird people who have their own stuff going on, and customers are all over the place. Uh, I've made great friends out of random customers that have come into the store. Um, the people are why I do it. 
getting discounts on books is great, but sometimes you get burnt out on that. And, you know, books go through waves. Sometimes they read more than, than other times. Uh, but the people are really the best part of the job, which is kind of a cliche thing to say. I think the worst part of the job is also kind of people. It's that at the end of the day, it's still a retail job. I can get burnt out on for as cool as I am and all and like as, as many podcasts as I can be on, I still like work a cash register. Um, so that can be really depressing. <laughs> so I think that's probably the worst part of the job, but it's a retail job. It, it is what it is. It's not really glamorous. It just has, it's like it underpays for a bunch of people that are overqualified, but it has a few perks. So it's publishing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks America. So you might not have an answer to this. So if you don't, that's fine. Um, is there anything about transitioning from a comic book store to a bookstore that there are any things that stand out to you is like things that's really surprised you or you're like, wow, this is really different than how I thought this worked or anything like that. I think it, it's been really interesting to see where things are similar and where, where things are different. I was pleasantly surprised at how similar the events are. Um, the people running the events at the Strand are all really cool and all give me that sort of DIY vibe that I got at, at Phantom, which is really nice and not something that I was expecting. I, I really like all those people and how they run those events. And then also it's been humbling to see where comics fit into the greater scheme of books in general. Um, and I'm really, I've been really happy to see how many comics it seems like the average person still reads, which is super cool. Like it, there's, there's, there's a lot of like comic book people who come into the store buying comics, but there's a lot of regular, not comics people buying comics and graphic novels too. And that's really cool. Yay. If people want to find you or your um, comics and bookstore homes on the internet, where should they be looking? Uh, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Jake underscore Shapiro. I'm on Instagram at Jacob Shapiro. Uh, and uh, then you can find Phantom Comics on all the things as Phantom Comics. And you can find Strand Books on all the things as Strand Books. Please check us out. Yeah, and all the social medias are pretty much run by like a few people that are passionate about it. They're less robotic than you'd think. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening to Graphic Novel TK. We hope you enjoyed our further exploration into stores that sell comics. Um, clearly they are very complicated and have many things going on. Um, up next, we'll be talking about even more ways to get your book out in the universe. Um, it's like they're keep being more and more parts of how books get out into the universe. It's almost like publishing is so complicated that we ran an entire podcast about <laughs> the weird machinery of it or something. That can't possibly be the case. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, guys. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com. Yeah, so it's over by the, it's between the erotica and the green architecture section. Um, Attention, New Yorkers, I, go to the erotica section. I get, I get.